Welcome to the She Wore Black podcast. I'm Agatha Andrews. Today, I've invited Lauren Owen to talk about her gothic folk horror novel, Small Angels. We chat about her fairy tale inspirations, as well as ghost brides, murder ballads, and so much more. I hope you enjoy it. You can order Small Angels from my online bookshop, which helps both the podcast as well as independent bookstores nationwide. That's at bookshop.org slash shop slash she wore black. You can also help out the show by following me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and leaving me a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining me today. Now on to the show. Well, hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. I know that your book, Small Angels, has been out for a little while, but for those who are not quite as familiar with it, would you do me the favor of explaining, you know, introducing my listeners to your book? Absolutely. Uh, So Small Angels, I'd say, um, ultimately, it's the story of a wood, a woodland called Montbeggar. It's a wonderful, lush mysterious place you you sort of you walk in and there are sort of stories myths fairy tales uh, blossoming all around you it feels there are also occasional encounters with the uh, with the dead so it's not entirely safe but it is a um a, a wonderful place to uh, to visit and there are a family of winemakers who are living very much in the shadow of the wood they are called the uh, the gone family and the book really centers on the the Gon's relationship with the wood and especially with the uh, the four sisters whose names are Ruby, Helena, Elphine and Lucia. And the action of the book begins when uh, Lucia, who is kind of the rebel of the family, she steps outside the uh, the bounds that uh, the Gon's live within and breaks uh, a few of the rules that they um, they live by which keep them safe and also keep the uh, the neighboring village safe so it all like escalates from from there and things sort of spiral quite rapidly out of control I love that you mentioned the fairy tale aspect because I and I'll get into the the kind of concept I guess or we can get into it together uh, of the the gothicness or the folk horror element but there is a fairy tale feel because of the woods setting is really really important here and you know it's great the woods are great for a good gothic ghost story but I feel like when gothics are connected to fairy tale it's usually a beauty and the beast kind of thing because you have like the crumbling castle sort of feel or manner but yours is different in that it's got a little bit more of a little red riding hood you know don't go into these woods kind of feel so the fairy tale element is still there but in a different way and I'm wondering if you could speak to that a little a little bit maybe was that an inspiration to you or what were your inspirations and do they pull from fairy tale oh absolutely yeah Um, and I think sort of uh, mythology sort of local stories around the the book it sets loosely in Suffolk which is uh, an area of the UK which does have a sort of wonderful 
folklore history, you get stories of green children walking out of the woods and mermen, uh, mermen, mermen being uh, being captured in sailors' nets. So there's a lot of, uh, of wonderful sort of folklore to uh, to draw on um, and sort of stories of, of ghostly uh, apparitions um, haunting various places. So that that definitely played into it, um, and I think. Because the the element of folk music was pretty important in the book, I think the the way that that intersects with uh, often with with sort of old legends or fairy tales, that's um, it felt like though those two really um, meshed very well together. Uh, I I love that you said Red Riding Hood because it's funny that that was definitely there, and it's and yet I don't. I don't recall sort of sitting down and thinking, oh, yes, right. Red Riding Hood. It's just, um, it's interesting. I guess that just shows that that stories are sort of part of, um, they're sort of below our skin and we, we don't even know that they're there a lot of the time. They're, they're just sort of do, doing, uh, work, working away without us even, uh, without us even knowing. Um, I think I, I also love, I used to love stories. I think um, there are a couple of Russian folk tales where there's uh, an idea of um, a dead body being transformed after death, uh, whether you, you sort of um, the body grows into a tree or um, the, the bones of um, a poor murdered soul are transformed into a uh, into a harp, which then sings the um, the, 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 the fact that um, this poor person has has been done away with. So I think that was something that I I definitely worked into um small angels with the idea of the dead sort of lingering and kind of making themselves known through the um the growth of various various plants in the woods is that is that the Russian fairy tales you're referencing are those stories you heard in childhood I had a book, um, I think it was Arthur Ranson, I want to say Arthur Ranson, um, I hope I'm uh, pronouncing that right, the um, the author of the uh, Swallows and Amazons stories. Okay. Um, so he, I, th I think I had a book of um, a few of his uh, um, uh, kind of, I guess they would have been translations or retelling of, of these um these folk stories you you get the um that wonderful witch with the the iron teeth and the um who lives uh, in a um a hut with with chicken legs that that walks around um i would say ba baba yaga um, yes apologies uh pronunciation probably very iffy on that but yeah the these um the, these wonderful sort of uh images uh really stuck with me that's just another example of of what people say when they talk about the stories of our childhood just being part of our consciousness forever you know, um, but I loved seeing that. Yes, the very don't go into those woods, little red riding. <laughs> and I love the name of your woods, uh, Mock Beggar. Where did that come from? Do you know, I think I saw it on a map and I was just struck with, oh, I love that. I, I was sort of, um, I guess my my writing mentality is there's I I kind of uh, compare myself sometimes to a character in a children's book um I used to read when when I was a kid um don't know if your your listeners will be uh, familiar with the um, the burglar bill character um quite an old book but um, basically there's a a character who called burglar bill who will see a can of baked beans or a shoe and he'll sort of say to himself oh that's a, that's a nice shoe 
I'll have that. And that that's very much my my attitude to um to 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 names and other sort of snippets when when I'm writing. So I I saw Mott Becker and I thought, oh yes, I'll I'll have that. I, I want that. That's that's for me. And so I I took that away and um yes, it it uh, it returned in uh, in small angels. I think it does have quite an old meaning, which I feel like it it has a connection with land or perhaps a house which isn't really there some something along those lines so there is a a deeper meaning there but um I was I was just really taken by um by the name I I love it when you come across a um a name you're just out in the world and you think oh that's that's wonderful but it's it's real it's not my concoction these little uh, gems waiting for us to uh, to pick up I love, I love the snappy sound of it, you know, because I love the snap. I, I pick up on that in stories or just when I'm out in the world and, and I do the same thing that you do. I'm like, I, I want to use that in some way, even if it's not that it might be some incarnation of that. And yeah. like with Tolkien, they have Buckleberry fairy and I'm like, Oh, I love that. <laughs> the snappiness of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Lemony Snicket as a name that he said he fired that off in his mind whenever he was getting a, a call from a, a telemarketer or something. Um, <laughs> he just fired that off. And so he used that as a pen name. And I'm like, that is such a snappy, I love the snappy sound. And, yeah. uh, and there's a, a street that's, you know, around here in Austin called uh, Pickle Parkway. And I'm like, oh, my God, oh that's so no much. <laughs> So it's yeah, those kind of names. I just I love when there's like a snappiness to them. So I, yeah. I really enjoyed that. What other childhood stories inspired this book? I feel like I saw somewhere that you was it the wind in the willows? Ah, uh, yeah, that yeah. was definitely a, a big one in in this. I I read that so many times as a kid, and it's it's still something that I I sort of pick up, especially when when I'm ill. I've got some books that I sort of go to I've I've Comfort. got that uh, a, a, a sort of book of poetry that I was given when I was seven and, and I've sort of committed most of the uh, the illustrations to memory but um yeah I mean Wind in the Willows it's just the the way the countryside is is realized it's just so real it, it feels like you're 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 sort of there you're strolling by by the river with Molinarati and I was always especially taken with the wild woods where obviously you have Mr. Badger living. So it's not all bad. It's there. There is this element of um, or there's this oasis of coziness and, and safety in, in the in the midst of the wood. But it's this terrifying place. You've got all the sort of the stoats, the weasels, the foxes live there. And I I was always really taken with the um, the segment where Mole goes into the wood like he's been told not to, but he wants to meet with badgers. So he goes and it starts getting dark and he's lost and he sort of collides with this rabbit who's like, get out of here, you fool. And it's just the 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 amping up of the tension is is I, I used to love that um, that sort of mood as as a kid. Um, and then you you get to the badger's house and it's fascinating because he's got this moment where he shows the fact that he is living um amongst the ruins of a, a human settlement it's sort of like the, the I think he says something like the human beings move in they stay for a while and they go and then the trees move back and the badgers sort of move in and start digging around and the um the trees kind of just swallow swallow up all, all these uh these settlements and that 
that definitely got stirred into uh, into Mottbegger, um, I think. Well, that's the thing about the woods, though, because they can be nefarious, but they're also beautiful while being nefarious. So then that's why they're enchanting. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think it's wonderful, like um, just the the fact that these are sort of living creatures and they're just existing in such on such a different scale to to us, like their their lifespans and the way they go about things. And yet they are they are alive. And I, I think sort of the, the research sort of uh, has gleaned that they they cooperate, they, they share information and things like that. So it's wonderful There there is a sort of um, a, a kind of awe, I think, that we we should feel with um, this kind of uh, this kind of surroundings. So I want to go back to names because in this environment that you've created, that's beautiful and wonderful and frightening, <laughs> you've got a church that's at the center of the story and the center. And obviously the title is small angels. And that's not something I would typically hear as a name of a church. Now, you know, I'm in a part of Texas that, you know, uh, you, there's a lot of Catholic churches, so they are going to be named after a saint or, you know, immaculate, whatever. Um, and then, you know, I, you know, whenever we see a some sort of Protestant church, it's usually like whatever Baptist church, like based on the street name or whatever, you know, Methodist church. And it's again, location. So I don't usually hear things like small angels. Is that for us Americans, is that a British thing or is there something more happening with small angels? Uh, um, yes. Small angels is a, uh, sort of local, um, portmanteau, I guess. Um, we, we have seen at, at, um, at, at one point talking about it and there's, um, a bit of discussion because it is like kind of it's a it's a funny name for for a church and we get the ex explanation it's um officially St Michael and all angels but that has been sort of smushed together over the years to become uh small angels um I, I kind of like the idea of the uh kind of uh angels dancing on a pinhead um the sort of very small angels but um yes hope hopefully there are some small angels um at work in, in the in the action um uh, sort of do, doing their thing well I mean there's clear metaphor happening in the book of course to the title um otherwise that wouldn't work as a title <laughs> but I just love the sort of cherub feel to a place that's terrifying in some way and so I thought that was just an interesting juxt juxtaposition there so the power oh, of the yeah it's like sort of the, the the cutesiness and then it's like um yes we we have sort of claw marks on the door from uh, sort of an unspeakable uh, crime that took their place there a number of years ago. So yeah, I, I, I do, I, I, I like that, um, uh, as you say, the kind of juxtaposition of, of sort of, uh, yes, quaint, but also uh, not so quaint, which is uh, actually the the mistake that uh, one of the, the main characters, um, Chloe, does yes. end up making. She, she sort of uh, arrives at the, um, the 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 local village and is like, oh, small angels, oh, everything is so lovely and quaint. She she's sort of from the city, so it's it's all a bit novel and, and charming. The kind of little lanes and everything very uh, very rustic and oh, oh, this is this is this is lovely and and just the place. Um, she she wants to get married there, and and this is sort of um, what drives the uh, the kind of later action of the book and. 
it turns out, yep, she she was um, she was in fact um, uh, quite wrong, and there was a bit of a um, underestimation going on. Well, I felt so bad for Chloe, <laughs> because, which oh, I know is the point. <laughs> you know? But you know, I remember, and and anyone who's gotten married and has done more than you know, gone to the the local office or whatever, uh, which I would have been happy to do, but I'm an only child and dad was adamant that he'd be able to walk oh. me down some aisle of some sort. So <laughs> we went through with a wedding, but, oh. um, you know, I, I remember like selecting where it was going to be and, and those kinds of things. Cause I didn't choose a church. Um, and I was married by a friend and, and all of that. I, I wanted that quaint, very, something that was indicative of my personality. So I can envision Chloe going around looking for the same sorts of things. And I thought it was super interesting that you chose a wedding, which is not unusual for a Gothic. There's other Gothics that have had weddings at the center of things, but I love your choice of it. And, and, and I'm really considering this a full core novel because ritual is so important you know, to this village and to the safety of the village. Ritual is is at the center of this. The sort of bridal moment for for stories, things that might happen to you. Um, and I, I have noticed I, I've sort of read quite a few uh, vampire stories working on my, um, my earlier book, uh, The Quick, and I definitely noticed that it's a time when something might be um, liable to happen to you just at the point of getting married. Um, I think that is the point where in Dracula, poor Jonathan Harker has just left his his fiance in England and it's just at that point. And um, again, you get uh, poor Lucy who is also about to get married. And it's, um, it's, it's very much a time when things happen, you're, you're much more likely to become a, a character in a story. I feel um at the uh, the bridal moment so so yeah I, I find it's a really uh rich time to uh to, to set a, a a story or a character was the story you referenced about the bones of a bride a real story or a fictional story I think it's a sort of um I feel like it's either a a ghost story slash urban legend okay um in the UK I, I don't think it really happened but I think it's one of those things that possibly happen to a friend of a friend of a friend right um, right right uh, or sort of one of those things that gets uh, collected in sort of um folk tales and ghost stories um of of the uh, the local area i don't know what it's called now but um yeah it just i i do feel like um yes the the things things might happen to you when you're a bride um good good and bad i mean you've sort of you've got the spectacular gown there there's um well of course there's always an appeal to the idea of like a ghost of a bride right yes, exactly. uh, I mean that's that's such a you know very Poe but it's uh, it, the tradition for that is longer than that even there's this I don't know if you ever watched Cold Mountain but there's an old folk song that um, is from the mountains over there on the east coast but it's actually goes back I think to England like hundreds of years ago that kind of made its way across the sea and was in turn used um and 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 Cold Mountain is a Civil War American Civil War movie Jack White from the White Stripes did the soundtrack and used a lot of old traditional folk 
folklore or not well folklore but also uh folk music Mm -hmm. and he had a song in there called lady margaret and i mean it's a woman singing he's just the producer the person who organized all of this and i looked up the history of it and it's hundreds of years old but this particular you know incarnation of it is definitely has that very american civil war feel to it but it is a bride you know who dies on the on the night of the wedding and i was obsessed (laughs) with this folk song for a while um but that goes back to all of these stories and tradition of this kind of you know she's on the precipice of a life-changing moment in a very kind of princess fairy tale way and then the most tragic thing happens so i thought that was an interesting part to your answer that's that's definitely um stirred into that i i that was and that sort of um uh, story and legend was definitely um there i, th- I think in, in in my mind sort of the the ghost bride or the ghost bridegroom who comes back from the dead and and sort of meets his his bride and and leads her off to um to be married uh, it's just it's a such a, a evocative image i think the um the sort of you get in the west the uh, traditional white gown since um the the sort of i guess that must have been the um victorians who brought that in but um that that kind of image of the white is is kind of quite a, a stark and, and potentially spooky image so it it all it's sort of very um lovely and evocative oh i love it so my jam <laughs> <laughs> um so you had more than the ghost of an angry person haunting these woods you had dogs that did this uh-huh. ghost spitting. They weren't, they were ghost dogs. And of course, you know, for a lot of people, they're going to think of the Hound of the Baskervilles. But I also felt like it goes all the way back even to like Greek myth and Cerebus um, because he's guarding people from leaving Hades in the same way that these dogs are really trying to keep in place the people who can keep the ritual at the center of this horror story going. Um, so I was curious about where you pulled from. That is definitely, you know, I, I love that you um, thought Greek myths because that's definitely, <laughs> I think that's definitely um, in there. And and the sort of underworld, of course, the Guardian View, it, it's, um, yeah, I, I, I love finding things like, oh, yes, of course, that was there. <laughs> it was there all along. Um, <laughs> uh, it was, uh, that that's that's lovely to to come across because um, interesting. I was um, definitely thinking Greek myths because um, I'm going to hopefully pronounce this right. But um, I was always intrigued by the um, the hounds of um, Acteon. Acteon. I'm going to say Acteon. I'm just going to commit and say Acteon. Um, <laughs> but this um, the the story of the um, the great hunter who is. Um, he stumbles across, um, I think, the goddess Artemis, and um, uh, she's bathing. She's not best pleased with um, sort of being interrupted, and she turns him into a stag, and he's chased down by his own hounds, and um, they, the, the hounds do what 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 hunting dogs do best. Um, I think that definitely was in there um, as, as something sort of the um, the old myths. Um, I think there's probably also um, the story, which is also a folk song, but the um, the story in the Bible, um, it's uh, Dives and Lazarus, and mm. there's um, Dives, the um, the rich guy, and Lazarus, the poor guy, and 
Lazarus asks for help. Um, Dives basically sets his dogs on him, but um, the the dogs don't go for Lazarus. They just sort of um, lick at his sores. And it's, I think that was definitely um, sort of stirred into this um, partly because the there is a, a wonderful uh, folk song which is sung um, about the um, about this story and it's the the tune is also used for a number of other different uh, folk songs but um yeah the the song uh dives in Lazarus which sort of tells this is um that that music was was sort of running through small angels and um yeah I would I would so recommend anyone uh listening uh sort of dives in Lazarus um I think it's Maddie Pryor. Um, I, I hope I'm getting that name right, but um, she does an amazing one. It's it's um, yeah, she brings out sort of the meat and, and blood of that uh, folk song. So um, so yes, long answer there. Greek myths and also I think some uh, uh, sort of biblical by way of folklore stirred in there as well. Well, speaking of songs, you have a murder ballad. <laughs> Ah, yes. <laughs> in here. And for those who don't know what a murder ballad is, can you explain what they are and how you incorporated this into your book? Uh, well, I had I had so much fun researching this and I feel like I just scratched the surface. But these um, these songs would circulate in um, England and I think other parts of the UK as well. And this would have been I feel like they had the heyday in uh, sort of about the 1800s and you would get the um, often it might be the um, confession, um, obviously not not literally taken down from um, a a man about to be hanged for some uh, some heinous crime. And it would sort of talk about who he murdered and how it all came out. and you could you could listen to these. You could buy them and take them home and uh, learn them. You you could uh, sort of paste them up in your in your house or your pub, which I think some people did. Um, I think probably I feel like maybe the best known murder ballad, certainly the one that I I spent a lot of time thinking about, was uh, Mariah Martin. Um, which is a, a true story, um, but which was turned into a murder ballad. A, um, a young woman in um, actually, I think a Suffolk village, uh, I wouldn't say Polstead. Um, it was a village famous for um, its delicious cherries and also for this um, violent murder, which was um, covered up. Um, and then eventually discovered the the story was that Mariah's stepmother had a dream which led them to dig up the um the red barn which was where her her body was 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 uh, concealed and this became like this huge um sensation there there were you could you could do tours I, I you, wow. could, you could buy merch um and the merch the, yeah there there was <laughs> it feels like a slight industry of of sort of murder um yeah every, everything murder wow. um I feel like the the Victorians are not so different to us in in that respect they're sort of very very um intrigued by their murders um and Mariah was yeah she she was a, a sort of fame famous victim I, I guess you could say and and so she she's immortalized in uh, in a number of places but also in the um 
the murder ballad, which takes interestingly the same tune as um, the the dives in Lazarus. So it's it's fascinating, I think, the way that you um, you get these tune, these sort of wonderful folk tunes that that will sort of be put to different purposes, and and people will sort of take them and, and use them. And it's I I love them because they belong to all of us. They're sort of um, the kind of song equivalent of uh, sort of the, the fairy tales or, or urban legends, I guess. So sort of no nobody can claim ownership, but. Um, yeah, I I was sort of I was really struck by by the fact that this this was a thing that that people took um, took as entertainment. Wow. Well, what I thought was really interesting was that the murder ballad is one example of the oral storytelling that's at the center of this novel because various forms of oral storytelling is how the narrative works here. So, can you speak to using you know, an oral oral traditions of various kinds for a written narrative. I I oh that's I I like that question because it's it is it's very much um I guess it's a kind of tension, isn't it? Because you 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 um it is very much the the oral storytelling is such a big part of of small angels. We start in in a pub with um a, a character trying to tell the um the the story of uh, of the gons and and sort of their unsavory and unfortunate past and and he is interrupted before he can uh, carry on and, and tell the whole story um i think partly this this must be due to the fact that i came to gothic uh, sort of gothic ghost stories um very much my first encounter was oral storytelling I guess sort of hearing a a ghost story with with my friends um sure trading stories you you know as you do sort of sleepovers and I I feel like that that sort of set me on a on a long path um uh, towards the gothic so it's it's kind of, I, I suppose in a way this book is is kind of me um yes it's uh sort of saying thank you Starting me on on uh, on on in this direction, um, I I do think it's the interplay between what's what's written and what's told us is yeah. is just generally so interesting because um, there there is the tension of sort of which which lives the longest and what what survives and I I I'm guess I'm I'm interested in that sort of across the Gothic because it's such a recurring theme kind of lost manuscripts. Um, people trying to tell their stories only to maybe sort of get cut off. So I, I feel like it's possibly the, the tension is there and it's, I feel like it probably is in part due to the, um, the interaction between Chloe, who, who is a sort of quite a, I guess, a, a sort of literary, um, that, that very much a, a sort of, um, book person I guess she works for a, a, a literacy a charity she is she's a reader she will go to the library for information and so that versus the the oral storytelling which is something she remembers from her childhood but is almost something she kind of forgotten about a little bit and mm-hmm. it, it's a it's an older form of sharing stories and it 
it begins to haunt her. She she is um, plagued at, at one point by her own actions being narrated in in her mind by by a sort of alien and possibly hostile presence, and it's it's turning her into an oral story. So I I think there is a um, a tension there, um, but I I think it's um, yes. Hopefully, it's quite a nice um, balance and and sort of neither neither side wins out completely well you know the idea of doing this I mean you can think of the Canterbury Tales I mean that's a narrative that's done like it's a written narrative of oral storytelling um used or used as the device and it's not even just the narrative device it does character work which is what happens in your book you know you don't have to know a lot about is it Mark what's the name of the first I should have written it down the character who does the hey chloe maybe you might want to rethink this and this is why um you know yes. he, but we don't know anything about him but it's the way in which he tells the story that does the character work and i thought that was just really interesting um, I love that. um, <laughs> um it's because i i feel like it's I, I like to, as sort of for, for characters, I, I love to get them sort of talking and, and see what what stories they will tell, because I, I, I think it's exactly as you say, it's it's what how how people tell their stories is 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 kind of who they are and, and how they they view the world. Uh, so I, I yeah, I, I, I love that um, that as a, a, a kind of a, an insight into this. I, I feel like it's very much in in real life as well like you you yeah. sort of you listen to people and if you give them a chance they they will tell you their their stories and yeah. what better way to 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 get to know somebody well is and the ghost is appeased like one of the rituals that they have to do is like the family has to go and sing these songs with these stories you know it's still it's all very oral tradition various types of oral traditions but like just the act of that is at the center of so much of this building of dread, building of character, building, I mean, every, almost like every part of what goes into writing a book is centered in this particular story on the, on an oral tradition, which is really interesting for a written novel. So <laughs> I don't know. I just love that. Uh, yeah, it was it was fun. I, I like writing other people telling stories in a book. I, I think that's just so much. There's so much fun and, and meat yeah. to be had with that. So it's it's lovely to um, to get to do. <laughs> well, on another note altogether, let's talk about the beacons. Are those uh, like I, I mean, of course, I think Tolkien, but I mean, beacons have to be something I mean is there is tell me about the beacons because I also think lighthouses I grew up on the coast and so there's a lot of messaging sometimes that happens with the lights um so you know that that's my experience from a coastal reference so I I'm just very curious about your use of beacons in the woods ah uh, yes <laughs> I was um I, I love that scene in Lord of the Rings the beacons that's just uh amazing as that's a Side note, that, that's sort of one of my well up moments um every time that that's just lovely there's something about the um the the message from from afar and and um yeah I, I think I think it's uh there's maybe something quite uh there is something touching about the idea of uh, sort of people sending messages to each other from very far away even in in sort of even if they're very uh simple messages so mm -hmm. 
I do love a beacon as um, just as a thing. Um, I was interested. I was um, quite young. My um, family, we went actually again to Suffolk um, and I was intrigued because the the village had a, um, I, I like to think it was original, but they had a, a sort of village beacon, like kind of, um, which didn't, it was not like hugely spectacular, but it kind of made me think of a, like a basketball net, but made out of metal and sort of on a pole set up high. And I was told that those were lit in the time of Queen Elizabeth I to kind of set the, um, give the the alarm when the, um, the Spanish Armada was coming. Mm -hmm. So that's the story I was told. So that that stayed with me i think the idea of just the 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 alarm and the idea of just this this message and i i think something about the idea of the um the fire as well is is yeah. um, is quite interesting just the the sort of the brightness shining out it's just such a small point um in in a in a sort of great darkness um especially if you're you're in the countryside cuz yeah, so you you're kind of surrounded by uh, by by nothing but um but black once once the sun's gone down so yeah I, I love the image and I I sort of I love the kind of the historical connections there well I mean I just I there's so many layers and I can't help but wonder you're Dr. Owen if I'm not mistaken is this correct yes. well I can't <laughs> help but wonder if your focus in your study because if I'm not mistaken I think that was your emphasis was also gothic or horror I love how I, you, you know, we're just seeing all of these traditions that you've committed yourself academically to um, flow so beautifully in small angels. So um, given that you are fancy Dr. Owen, <laughs> I'm wondering if you could give my listeners any suggestions for your favorite gothics. Oh, oh, nice, nice. Uh, um... <laughs> That's an, a nice task. Um, I think there's the the one book I always recommend is um, uh, Michelle Paver, Dark Matter, which is oh, uh, literally and um, figuratively um, chilling. It's um, a uh, expedition, um, I think, early 1900s into the uh, sort of bleak northern. Um, I, I feel like it's the um, the Arctic but I could be mistaken. And it's sort of one of those countries where in winter time, the, the, um, the days get very short and then the light goes completely. And the, the hero is part of a sort of scientific expedition. They, they sort of in this nighttime world and there's something out there um, along with them uh, in, in the darkness. And it's, uh, it's it's just yeah it's it's wonderful for sort of the 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 chills and um yes I, I can't can't recommend that one enough so that's um that's always one that I uh, I recommend um oh well I'm I'm currently reading um The Devil in the Dark Water by um, Stuart Turton um yeah I'm having so much fun with that it's it's an amazing ride um kind of a sort of lock room mystery in the sense that the characters are trapped in a sort of on a boat um, on a kind of eight month voyage. And they think that something has come aboard with them, some kind of demonic um, presence. And I'm just, yeah, 
I'm, I'm loving this. I kind of, I want to know, but I'm, I don't want to spoil the the um, the ending by rushing ahead. I, I'm one of those terrible people. I will sometimes look at the ending, but I'm I'm holding back this time because um, yeah, I, I, I can't I can't spoil this uh, for myself. I if I don't know already going into a story if it's going to have a hopeful ending, I will absolutely. And I've already told authors, like, I will always go to the back um, because at this point of my life, I've read enough Dostoevsky type things where, you know, I, I get that there's people who love sorrow and, and to be tortured by their work. And I get that because I've done all of that before, but at, at 49 years old, like, <laughs> I want some hope. And also in these bleak times that we've been living in, I want some hope. And so I will absolutely cut to the end of a book first, like for that reason, you know, <laughs> not necessarily to find like who, like what the answer is to everything, but just to see if I'm going to, if the journey is worth, worth it for my emotional yeah. health, you know? <laughs> I do like to I, I like to note like if if sort of there there is something it's like well okay I'm I'm, I'm like sort of forewarned is forearmed kind of thing like I I know yes. what I'm getting into now um and yeah I, actually oddly I I remember watching the film um yeah spoiler alert I guess but um I remember watching the film Carol and I was sort of I had this idea coming in that it was going to have sort of quite a miserable ending and I was kind of braced for impact the entire time and it didn't really it kind of spoiled my enjoyment of the film a bit. A bit oh, no. <laughs> now it's just like, oh, what was I worried about? Um, so, yeah, I think sometimes looking at the ending can can actually sort of help you gauge what kind of mode to to uh, enjoy a story in. <laughs> I understand completely what you mean, uh, you know, but I will keep that in mind. I will not have uh, I will not I will try to read devil in the bat in the dark water without a spoiler for I'm gonna go in I'm gonna be brave <laughs> I hope I'm not setting you up for um for, for some um yeah heart, something heartrending at the end so. <laughs> no backlash I promise so. <laughs> Well, thank you so, so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed the experience of reading um, Small Angels. And I have to say, I also listened to the audio. So when I wasn't sitting down reading with it, if I'm like doing the dishes or something, I listened to the audio because, you know, I wanted to keep going with the story. You have a wonderful narrator. So congratulations on getting a good reader. Oh, <laughs> so. Yes, I'm, I've been lucky across the board. I think um, it's, it's uh, yeah, very pleased. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, to all of my listeners, I think that the story is wonderful to enjoy in either format. Uh, but, you know, I look forward to what you've got next. I really, really enjoyed the story. So thank you so much for coming on the show. And hopefully with your next book, you'll be back. <laughs> oh, well, thank thank you so much. Um, uh, it was lovely to, to come on. So, yeah, really appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for joining me today on She Wore Black. If you like what you heard and want to support my work on the show, you can visit my website at sheworeblackpodcast.com for links to my coffee shop, donation site, as well as my online bookshop. You can also help out the show by rating me on Apple and following me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook and letting your friends know about the show. Thanks so much for joining me today and happy reading. Thank you.